Hey, what you're about to watch is a presentation that Jeff gave live to a bunch of our clients. So if you're not familiar with Jeff Booth, he's the author of the book, The Price of Tomorrow, Why Deflation is the Key to an Abundant Future. And these Your Life, Your Terms events that we hold a couple times a year, what we try to do with these events is talk to, about the monetary policy and help Canadians understand what they have to do to get ahead financially. And after reading his book, he had such a huge impact on our own thinking. We wanted to invite Jeff out to speak to all of our clients to give them this information and now we're sharing it here on this YouTube video so that's what you're about to watch in this particular video it's Jeff Booth speaking live at our your life your terms event so thanks for coming back in um, listen this next speaker Jeff Booth is a really special person for me to bring on the stage here with you I read his book during the pandemic it's called the price of tomorrow why deflation is the key to an abundant future and it broke down some concepts around money and the economy that I was aware of, but it brought it to a higher and simpler level. I had never thought of the intersection between the current system and technology and what that all might mean for us in the future. And the way he breaks it down in, the, in this book is the best I have ever read to predict what is gonna happen to all of us over the next three, five, and 10 years. So to get Jeff Booth to come here, he lives out on the West Coast in Vancouver, to fly across the country, to come here to be with us today and talk to you about these concepts is really special to me. So I'm really thrilled to be able to introduce Jeff Booth to all of you right now. Let's get started with him. Thanks, buddy. Um, first, a huge thanks to Tom and Nick. Uh, it takes a special type of uh, people to both learn what's happening in real estate um, and then with consider your own biases and look what's happening over a, a greater area and then take those biases into helping a whole bunch of people understand their own and where we're 30, 40 years of real estate, uh, wealth and creation might take you into another realm. So I just huge thanks to, and, and keep in mind, with Tom and Nick, that also competes, what I'm talking about will compete against their business. So for them to change their business to give you the right information um, is, is really special. Uh, a second thing I wanna say is this, this is an investment conference. Um, I hope that I can help you create a bunch of wealth or protect your wealth, but more than that, far more than that, I hope I'm gonna give you something that's, that's way more important in your life through this talk. Um, and you could look at this first slide at navigating humanity's greatest paradigm shift, and you could say this is hyperbole. And I would ask you, and maybe everybody in their time in, in the world always thinks this is the greatest time. I would ask you to consider at a first principles level, as we go through this, what I'm talking about at a deeper level than you might think. So a system problem cannot be seen from the system creating the problem. And so for tens of thousands of years, humans thought uh, the, uh, the sun rotated around the earth, the moon rotated around the earth, and it would look at looking up at the night sky, that might seem obvious. Until Galileo looked up through a, a, a stronger telescope that he invented and said, wait, it doesn't. Copernicus was right. Um, our earth rotates around the sun. And you can imagine what that might look like at the time of Galileo to a system that was measuring the system from the system and what it might look for that crazy, crazy person competing with a different thought that was true, but nobody could see it. 
So I just, I just encourage you all to bear with me in some of what we're going to talk about because it's going to challenge your your uh, perceptions, just like it would have challenged everybody when Galileo said the the uh, the, the sun isn't the center of their universe. And if a system problem can't be seen from uh, from the system, it certainly can't be fixed from the existing system. That means everything that we would be doing inside the existing system, trying to create more wealth and more money, would be making that system worse. So we're going to explore some of that today. And we have today two opposing forces in the world. Um, and you could say Newton's third law of, uh, of motion applies here. Every single force creates an equal and opposite force in the other direction. And to try to explain this, I'm going to use kind of two sides of the, of the stage, because again, you will be trapped, likely, in the existing system measuring everything in the existing system versus new, in the new system. It's very complicated. So a couple of truths. These are, these are true. In the free market and over a long enough time horizon, prices fall to the marginal cost of production. Every economist knows that. So that, what that means, we, we create productivity as human beings and we sit on top of the productivity as it, it falls in, in price. We have exponentially increasing technology and the productivity driven from that technology. And that means prices should be falling exponentially. So that's what the world we should live in. And so, so as we talk about this world, I'll stand over here and we'll break it down. So prices follow the marginal cost of production. The air you're breathing right now in this room is the most valuable thing in your life. Why don't you pay for it? Because plants produce it for free, right? It's about that. And you do pay for it. Marginal cost of production is higher if you want to breathe it in space or underwater. And you, so you can see, okay, air, it's not value. It's really valuable, but we don't pay for it. Why not? What about your calculator app? Why don't you pay for that? What's the marginal cost of production of the calculator app? What about your Zoom call? What about your all of these things increasing in the world that you're using? And the only reason you're using them is because you're getting more and more value on an exponential scale out of that, that use. Where do those things show up in GDP? The system, right? So where do they show up? Where are your photos that you take way more photos today than you took 20 years ago? All free. And you have to ask yourself, what is the cost of production of a line of code? Or even greater still, where we're going, what's the cost of production of a line of code created by other lines of code? Zero. And that's what it, and, and that's why these have a constant push down and more and more of our world is in this spot where prices should be falling. So we have exponentially, product, uh, exponentially increasing productivity. That exponential function is critically important. I tell the story I wrote about it in the book, about if you fold a piece of paper, just an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, and you fold it once, and you fold it twice, and you fold it three times, and you fold it four times upon itself, you can only fold it seven. But if you could fold it 50 times, how thick is the piece of paper? And it goes from here to the sun. Why that is critically important, and most people who haven't seen that trick, it's the same 
chess, rice on chessboard trick. It's the same penny doubling every year for uh, for 31 days rather than a million dollars. Same thing. It's an exponential pattern that we can't read because the, the change is so great. So now where are we in Moore's Law and what's happening in technology compared to that? We're on fold 34, moving to 35. So the steps are getting way bigger. And the steps are, that are getting bigger that should be bringing that productivity to our lives in an exponential function, making prices cheaper everywhere, are being captured. So what's happening, that similar rate of in AI has been moving for 60 years. 60 years. And why in my book I could predict exactly where AI would be now and predict exactly the next step is because I'm not measuring linear. That first fold is deceptive. That second fold is the deceptive because nothing changes in the 50s on AI. The third fold, fourth fold, nothing changes. It feels like nothing's happening. And then you get to the later folds and you can't predict what's happening next because it's happening so fast and you're measuring, you have a mismeasure of what's happening in the world applied to, uh, to the world. So if that's, if that's happening today in AI and most things digital, and we can see it around us, once comes next, I'm sure I'm going to show you, this is an artificial general intelligence robot developed by a friend of mine. It's one of the leading uh, in the world today. And I'll tell you after we look at it. This is already in stores and some uh, some stores as tests. And being an artificial general intelligence robot, it isn't doing a specific task over and over and over. It's doing all tasks. In other words, it can price everything in the store. It can it can greet shoppers. It can unload a truck. It can load. It can do everything better than humans already. But right now, it costs about one hundred and twenty dollars an hour to run, and the battery life is so so long. In three years from now, he expects that that robot, or one, one like it, will be $5 an hour. So the things that we're talking about now, and all of the abundance that they're creating in tech and everything else, what happens when this moves into the physical realm and they can do all jobs at an ever and ever an, an increasing rate? And so why I'm still right now in... Uh, um, in this spot is this should be giving us the abundance. Every year, we should be able to work less. Prices should be falling exponentially as that productivity flows to society in the form of lower prices. That's what should be happening. It doesn't feel like that's happening, does it? Let's explore why. If the clicker will work. Um, and we live in a, we live in a credit-based system and, and that credit-based system, if you allowed deflation from it, would collapse that system. So if prices fell like they were should, should be, 
that system would blow up and all prices would collapse because it's built on nothing. It's built on a promise of money. And that promise of money has to continually expand to drive inflation, to be able to steal the productivity gains that should be flowing to us all over the world and society and transfer them here. And, and we're stuck in that system. And that system, um, this is just the U.S. debt. You can see the rate of growth. By the way, the, the rate of growth of debt is actually a mirror image of the productivity gains that should be flowing to society and lower, lower prices. It has to take that much debt, that growth in debt has to expand at the exact mirror image rate to be able to keep the system solvent. The rise of the debt is as a result of the opposite, trying to grow against something that you can't grow against. And then when you can't pay the debt back, so that, by the way, that debt globally is $400 trillion. That debt globally that backs all of your houses and everything else and all over the world is $400 trillion and it's already insolvent. You know how long it would take to pay back that debt one, one penny or $1 a second? 12,675,000 years at $1 a second. But it gets worse because the productivity is moving exponentially one way, so the debt has to move exponentially the other way. It is already insolvent. And the only way it can stay solvent is through financial repression and, and making people uh, believe it's solvent. And so what would happen is, what if for every one of these productivity gains over here, every single one to live in this world over here, leading to abundance, had to be taken over here, leading to scarcity. Wouldn't it seem obvious in the world we lived in over here, measuring what could be over, over there, no way through, that inflation is wage deflation? Right? It's the same concept. It isn't different. It means inflation, and, and wouldn't it seem obvious that a whole bunch of other things as a derivative, what would the world look like if the entire world thought inflation was normal in a society and they made it normal that they believed that you had to have 2% inflation to, to live in a productive society because you do need it and you need to have a higher in inflation to be able to make the debt solvent, but you don't need it to live in a productive society because what you're actually saying is to be able to trade all around the world, we require theft in money. And why 2%? I think it's actually pretty simple. At 2%, you wouldn't notice somebody coming in and stealing 2% of your stuff over a course of a year. That's why. It's, it's that simple. But it's higher and higher inflation that has to get higher and higher to be able to pay back more and more insolvent debt, you start to notice. But it's always been a theft. So what would the world look like on that, on that theft? And by the way, I just want to go back for a second. Everything we have said to this moment, this is true, right? Technology is deflationary. It should be providing the world abundance. This is true. We live in an inflationary system that would collapse if we allow that to happen. Those two constructs that are very different are both true. And so depending on how you're looking at this world, 
if you're surprised at what's happening, you're probably in the wrong construct. So what if we couldn't see the negative externalities of the thing we were doing and all the hidden uh, things that we were doing inside the system that was driving us further and further apart? And once you get to these two things are true, you could argue if you wanted, are they true? Right. But once you get to the sand and you say these th two things are true, now you have to question some of your existing biases and what other things might you think that are true? Like before Galileo looked up at the stars, what other things do you be might believe are true? They're also not true. Money is superordinate to laws. And I can tell you the inverse really easily. If money wasn't superordinate to laws, so it's more powerful than laws. If it wasn't, then the places with the most broken money, the highest inflation, the most broken money, they would be have the strongest laws. Make sense? You can look at the evidence all around the world and you can see that laws break down when money is, uh, when money is broken because it has to. Everything that sits on top of broken money, that whole pile has to get further and further broken, especially if you're in two different systems moving further and further away. So let's, let's take a couple of examples. Regulation. Can you believe we live in a world, um, and I know uh, our next speaker is going to talk about a little bit of regulation. Can you believe we live in a world um, regulating us to protect our money from a system designed to steal it? How would that work, right? And I understand why it happens, because people get more and more fearful. A whole bunch of the population that's impoverished by that same theft looks at people that are that, that are getting rich and government getting bigger and bigger as a result of it. And they say, you got to do something to stop those people. Of course it looks like that. That's why money is superordinate to laws and it gets worse. Um, let's talk about a democracy. Um, does anybody here have a vote in what the inflation rate is? I don't think so. Right. All over the world. We talk about a, a, a free and open society and, a, and, and, and we have we we believe we live in this democracy, and and it, for for the most part it looks more than it does in other places. But I'll get to that in a moment. Um, but why does it feel like some of that is breaking down? Because as inflation rate is as more of the tax rates comes through a hidden repression that has to get greater and greater, and we don't have a vote in it, and that steals wealth from the middle class and poor at a faster and faster rate. And they go harder and harder. They vote for more and more bigger government to steal it faster. And and we don't have a vote in a democracy. And that when you would when, and that means and that's what it means is is a lot of the political action is just theater on top of broken money on who gets to control it. I wish some of this I'm saying wasn't true, but you have to explore some of these things that are true because of the other thing being true. And what do we see as, as data confirming this? Now, if you look on the left-hand side of this list, you see individual countries going up and down the list. This is just so the, the top countries on the Human Freedom Index. But look at the right-hand side. Every single one of them is losing ground in human freedoms. And if you expand this to what it looks like in countries that have higher inflation rates, you'll see 
is the exact result. It leads to authoritarian countries. It leads to dictatorships. It leads to why? Because we vote for it. Because we're so mad that that's able to divide us. So interesting. What else could be tied to this? If you in different places in the world that are experiencing higher inflation rates or wage deflation rates, and they can't pay for their uh, because of the same thing. Actually, a, a, a REVs wouldn't work unless we paid Ghana two dollars an hour to two dollars a day to dig cobalt out of the ground. Right? This is connected. We are all connected all over the world. So when people can't eat, feed their families, and everything else, if you were somewhere else with this repressive tax constantly degrading you and your citizens had voted for somebody else to be able to take more and more rights and freedoms away, what would you do? Wouldn't you try to get on a boat and save, save your life and try to get somewhere else that didn't have it as bad? Pretty natural. I know I would do that for my family. What about environment? Ask yourself this, how could the environment be saved? by a system that has to steal our time at an ever and ever increasing rate to grow forever by manipulating money on a finite planet. And you'll see all of the environmental concern is exactly the same derivative. It may, it's made worse by a system for trying to steal your time, trying to steal your, steal your life energy. You can expect, you can expect if governments, if, if, if rate of theft, I wish I didn't have to say rate of theft, but it is rate of theft. That's what inflation is. You don't vote for it. Um, it's a dishonest ledger. But what would it look like if the, the governments had to lock you in that, and, and, you, and you didn't choose to be locked in? You could expect all media, all everything else to get further and further worse, just like it looks in other nations that experience this and more. And this travels all around the world and it travels, it's, it's connected. We are all connected all over the world. And if money is broken and it has to be more and more broken, it's the first principle to everything else. In fact, all money is, is information. I could you don't want more money. You want what you think more money will buy you. For some people it's, I I'll matter to my family more. For some people, it's vacation. For some people, more, more and often, it's love and belonging is what the thing you really care about. And money is a ledger describing how much of that ledger you have and how much you need to be able to produce the things you want. So it makes pretty much sense if money is on a broken ledger, then, and it was just information, and you automated it, then everybody would be looking through that misinformation and getting further and further away. And that's where we find ourselves today. It, it's just a mirror image of, of, of what we're seeing. And by the way, we're making it stronger. As we try to chase our own little pie, how do we make enough money? We make that thing stronger because the whole thing has to, uh, um, has to get stronger and we hurt ourselves through it. This doesn't lead to really great spots in life. By the way, when you're in this spot in life, just ask yourself, many of these people, many people in this room, if you're going through pain right now because, let's say, interest rates went up and you have a bunch of, uh, a bunch of housing, 
and 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 the, and that's going to liquidate you. That pain that you're feeling, you probably can't see the same thing that somebody in abundance can see because it's so consuming. It takes it takes everything of you. Now think of that pain imposed on seven and a half billion people, getting worse and worse, and that fear getting worse, and that's. Uh, scarcity getting worse. And a lot of people can't see this because they're trapped in the system. And they look at the media and the media reinforces it. And they, you're, you're, while they, why the algorithms reinforce it is because you'll slow down at a car crash. So the algorithms know that if they are really crazy, if they really show you something crazy, you'll watch and you reinforce it. You'll make it stronger and stronger in your own mind and you'll give the system more power. And it doesn't end in that in a very reasonable spot, um, uh, you know, on this spot of uh, life. I know that's terrifying. I wrote the book primarily because I didn't want my kids to grow up in the world that we're heading towards, and I've predicted a whole bunch of these actions coming forward. So, what do we need? Um, and what does it look like? And so, you need a bridge to the other side of the world. You need a bridge that can move at the same time as the system is getting worse. You need a bridge that moves to the other side of the world. And that bridge would need to be decentralized and secure. It would need to have no counterparty risk to this system. And, and the only thing that I've seen as that bridge is Bitcoin. And, and, and think about it uh, uh, this way. If you had fixed monetary units, so if you had a decentralized and secure open network with fixed monetary units, then the things I said in the beginning of the, of the slide, the prices fall to marginal cost of production, exponentially uh, rising productivity, then that thing measuring that would, as long as it stayed decentralized and secure and fixed in, fixed in 21 million units, it would be measuring the truth in the world, right? So when most people are measuring Bitcoin price, they're measuring Bitcoin price from the current, their currency that's being debased, measuring the one that isn't. And what would that look like if you're in Argentina right now, Bitcoin is setting all time records. If you're in Canada, which is not getting as much debased right now. It's not setting all time records, but all over the world, Bitcoin is measuring prices falling to the marginal cost of production. How can I tell you that? Three years, three and a half years ago, my lake house cost, I'm going to go over here, $1.4 million Canadian. Today it costs $2 million Canadian. My lake house in Bitcoin cost 300 Bitcoin three and a half years ago. Today it costs 50 Bitcoin. All prices. It's measuring economic law and it's flowing and that abundance is flowing to anybody who's in this network and an entire ecosystem is building on top of it. It's, uh, and, and so I'm not asking you right now, I'm asking you to zoom out of the noise that would be created by a system over here that's leading you to scarcity into a system that do your own research. Because if you can't trust some of the other things out of the system, 
then you should probably do your own homework and understand why the why what would it what would a system that steals the control of society say about a system that gives it back right it's that simple all it is is an honest ledger it's going to become a lot more um I, I created a venture capital company. I'm investing on top of this layer. If you saw what was coming and the promise and the hope for mankind, you would you would be here with you'd be on this side with me. It would it's so positive. And where does it start? It starts in we're we're in Canada when the U.S. We're the closest to the money monopoly, right? We're closer to the money monopoly than say Africa is. And so we don't see how fast something is moving over here because our currency isn't eroding as fast as others. So what would hap happen over here? Pretty, tip pretty typical of a monopoly to try to protect its power, lock people in to everything else. And it's pretty typical also when a technology changes the rules. I'm at, ask, ask this, have you ever seen a technology anywhere on, on, uh, in our history that is cheaper, uh, faster, and safer that's ever lost against a monopoly. And you can see, and, and you'll see, uh, see what's happening um, here. So I would encourage you to do your own work and, and really look into this um, because it's repricing everything, including housing, including every asset class. But more important, your actions over here in creating the world you want to see are are more important. I'll leave this slide as, as, as Tom comes up and, and I'd look at this as, as, uh, as a mirror, right? Our world is a mirror, mirror reflection of our beliefs. And, and, our, and that means our words, actions, our th thoughts, words, actions matter. And so the future just doesn't come to us, right? Future doesn't just happen to us. We create it. We create it with those words, thoughts, and actions. So which side of that future do you want? You create it. Thanks. So I'm going to ask Jeff a few questions. We've got a few questions for Jeff. So Jeff, thanks for, for mapping that all out for us. I have a question for you, and I think this comes up a lot. When you map out an old system and a new system, like I've heard you use an analogy of Sears and Amazon before. Can you just talk us through that to just maybe help picture what's happening and why some people see it and why some people don't see it because I see this evolution of this new system happening right now, but I know a lot of people who are new to these ideas can't see it. So could you talk about, you know, the, the example you've yep. used? Yeah. And, and again, remember, and, and, and if you all of a sudden see it and you have religion on, on this, and that's why probably you do, uh, Bitcoin becomes polarizing for people who do, and then they see, they see it because they talk through that lens to a whole bunch of people who don't. Right, so it becomes really hard. So if you come away from this and you start to understand it, just remember most of humanity is so, still trapped in a, a terrible system, imposing worse and worse um, outcomes, and they don't know. So have empathy for them, I would say. So if you use, and by the way, the example I'm going to use is, it's not a, it's a decent example, but it's not as meaningful because the, what we're dealing with is so much bigger. But I'll use it anyways. So if you were... If you and I, I built through the technology boom and in, in the and the internet boom, so I, and I was an investor early in Amazon, so so I understand these concepts and I actually understand what they looked like at the time. So if you had Sears 
um, at the time or Amazon, depending which frame of reference you were using to measure the world, they would both be true for you. And if you were a Sears executive and measuring the frame of, uh, of the world, it would be getting harder and harder and harder and harder. And everybody remembers Sears? Remember Sears? Because I don't know how old I am. I want to speak for you, but I don't know. Sears. Remember that store, Sears, right? What was the other one? Consumers distributing. <laughs> Consumers distributing. Anyway, sorry. Go on. So, so now I think about the, and we make a parallel to what's happening today and in, in, in the kind of the misinformation that you're hearing and everything else. Because I remember two sides of that argument, not first principled arguments, but, uh, but two sides of the argument around Sears and Amazon at the time, kind of if you went 99, 2000. The argument went like this. On one side, you had f fear. You had, well, if they keep going, if Amazon keeps growing at this rate, where will I buy my groceries? And then you had the uh, entire opposite. There's no way Amazon will ever grow that fast. I will never go there. Sears will. And what happened? Just two different frames of the world competing for value. And over time, more and more of our incentives move to the better incentive system for us. And when... When, the, when you go back to the, all of the chaos and people taking both sides of those sides, if you look at the people in Amazon or the people in Sears and when Sears closed in 2010 or so, I don't remember a whole bunch of riots and saying, oh, where am I going to buy my groceries? We'd already, already moved. The people that moved early did better. People that moved late did worse. And, and so that's what this transition looks like. This transition is going to be messy. And most of your actions are going to be in the mess, making that system stronger. I would encourage you, if you take one thing away from this, you matter. Your actions matter. And move more of your energy into the system that's based on truth. I remember when Amazon first came out with Amazon Prime, I immediately signed up for Amazon Prime. I was already using Amazon so regularly, I thought Amazon Prime is the greatest thing. You pay this flat fee, you get like free shipping. You remember when Amazon Prime? And I remember people telling me, you gave Amazon how much money to sign up for that? I will never sign up for Amazon Prime. Now, how many people have Amazon Prime? Everybody has Amazon Prime. And I feel like it was, we're in the same era now where there's a new system developing on top of the information system. And now we have a monetary system distributed, decentralized, growing on top of the information system. But we have people looking around at each other talking about the price of Bitcoin in fiat dollars. And I'm like, hey, this isn't about the price of Bitcoin and fiat dollars. This is about taking some of your time and labor and being able to purchase part of a finite monetary network that is going to work globally for decades ahead. And your time and labor will be protected because you will own that and it can never be debased on you. That is something special. And to me, for my family, I want my family's time and labor to be honored. And that's why I'm buying Bitcoin. It's not like get rich on the price. Hopefully it pumps up. Sure. I think we all could have our guesses on where the price will go. But this is much more. This is the transition from one system to another. And, and Jeff, can I ask you about network effects? Yeah. The network effects of the old system compared to a new system? Yeah, so network effects, for those that don't know, a, a phone, just a, just a landline even, a phone works on a network effect. And what it is, if, is if you are the only one with the phone, it's useless. And then somebody adds another phone, and it's more valuable for both of you. And somebody adds another phone, more valuable, more valuable. And you can measure specifically 
the mathematical function of how much more value it's cre uh, created from the network effect. Now, these these things get complicated. They're not, but what ends up happening? Seventy percent of all value today in in technology stocks is driven by uh, actually a network effect. They get more and more valuable, but they they also because of the existing system they centralize, and as you get more network effects that centralize, they have to cut certain people off for others so they get less valuable. Same thing with the U.S. dollar. It has powerful network effects, so people keep using it. Even though it imposes these problems, people keep using it. It gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And even though inflation is wage deflation, so a whole bunch of people in Lebanon, Venezuela, and, and other places have just had their pockets picked again and again, and they go to the bank and it's closed, and they get again... And that actually makes the U.S. dollar stronger because all that labor all over the world is now cheaper, right? And so it allows that to carry on, but it's breaking down because now you have a network effect that's decentralized and secure and it's getting stronger and stronger as well. And as this one gets stronger, so effectively as more of you, more of me, walk across the bridge on something that can't steal, can't with financial repression, take away your, it can't make you pay for 400 trillion of insolvent debt. All you have to do is choose an open network and you walk away from it. As more and more people walk away from it, that network effect gets stronger and stronger and stronger. What's super interesting, which breaks your brain, is it's a network effect on a decentralized and secure protocol. So that network effect also ensures that these giant monopolies can't work against you. They're, they're forever prohibited. All service, all future work on, on top of this network is in service to all of us. Um, and, and it's a bit, and, and it's, and it's, and just, if you wanted to know kind of fundamentally where this is, so it, if you measured self-custodial wallets um, from Bitcoin and how many people are on Bitcoin, because it's, it's a protocol rather than a coin. So TCPIP or Bitcoin layer one, which is tied to energy. Is, is you can measure by decentralized uh, wallets. It's 1996 in the internet, in that. And the rate of growth is exactly the same as the internet. On top of that, you have a, a, lay, a different layer, Lightning and other layers, and Fediment and other layers that are emerging on top of that, and those are growing even faster, but it's 1992. So you have these network effects that are both uh, reinforcing on each other, being used all around the world, um, growing at a rate that it, that you can't re even even see from from what you're measuring in this existing system, and most people think it's a Ponzi scheme. It's crazy. I have a, I have a stat for you on that that I looked up last night after you talked about that on the network effect comment because this is a monetary network. It's not just that you and I are communicating to each other through this network. All of our productivity and the value of everything we create is collapsing into that network. As I choose for my family to take my fiat, get rid of it and exchange it for Bitcoin and put more of my net worth, wealth, savings, if I want to consider it a savings technology, a savings account, as more of that goes in there, not only do I am putting my productive value in there, the productive values of the businesses I'm associated with, the services and products, the profits that come from those collapse into there as well. This is absorbing the productive value of all of humanity, but we're at such the beginning that everyone's just focused on the price. I, I looked up something, Jeff, 
Um, you, you can correct me on anything I'm saying. <laughs> Jeff's way smarter than me, so Jeff, you just correct me on anything I'm saying. But I, I looked up something that Jeff said about the Lightning Network. The Lightning Network is another layer on top of Bitcoin that is allowing for pretty quick communications of Bitcoin exchanging all around the world. And the Lightning Network, listen to this. Our revol this is the Bitcoin Magazine just put this out yesterday. It says a new report is showing that the Lightning Network grew over 1,200% since August 2021 as new applications continually enter the market. This is the, the, the internet exploded in the late 90s and that was an information network. Now we have a monetary network building on top of it and it's exploding and people are still arguing about the volatility of the price of this thing. So let me just t tie it because this is important. So the internet that we know of exploded and the same protocol stack that you used to do, the iPhone and everything else and Zoom is the same protocol stack, literally going back to the late 60s, TCP IP, and then HTTP was 1989. And it wasn't until 1989 that creating web pages that could hyperlink that did anything. Then the entrepreneurs started moving into that space to be able to build applications and value that then would be created value. I remember when the iPhone came out using the same thing, 2007, like 17 years later from the, from the protocol stack. Now today the world's moving much, much faster, but Bitcoin layer one is the new TCP IP, you could say. And what has to happen, it has to ossify. It has to get harder and harder and harder, more decentralized and secure, and that's what's happened. So what would what would happen in a world that you couldn't do anything on top of it, but but people were getting rich by holding it? People would say, I have a faster inter I have a faster coin, right? And all of these other things would be natural in a free market, but they misunderstood what it was. It's a protocol. And now the next layer, lightning, which you talked about, where we're doing a lot of investment. If you saw how fast the innovation that's happening now on top of something that's ossified, that's stronger and more decentralized, you're building on, on base rock, right? Instead of sand. You're, now, now entrepreneurs are racing in to take advantage, to give you things you won't be able to even imagine sitting in this room on top of a protocol that, that trans, transitions humanity. You won't even be able to imagine what those things are, just like you couldn't imagine the iPhone in 1989. That's what that that's what. And some of the I, I'm not going to mention any company names, but some of the stuff that Jeff has exposure to, just knowledge of, is blowing my mind. Um, I'm going to talk about the risk-free rate of rate of return. Um, so in the you know there's this concept in economics, there's a risk-free rate of return that if you buy a one-year Treasury bill or a ten-year Treasury or whatever. The interest rate that you're going to get on that is risk-free because the treasury is backed by the full force of the U.S. taxpayer, and that's like guaranteed. It's the best foundational thing of the entire economy that you could own, and that's what people look to for their risk-free rate of return. It's always bothered me because it's been debt-based, and more debt needs more debt, so it's always kind of bugged me a little bit. What's happening in the Lightning Network is that you and I can own Bitcoin, which we know is part of a monetary network. It's not just a coin like all the other stuff that we, we hear about. This is a, is a monetary network. We can own a piece of that. When we take our ownership piece of Bitcoin, whatever we own of it, $10, $100, $1,000, whatever, we can go and take our Bitcoin and contribute it to the Lightning Network, still maintain ownership of it directly ourselves. And in exchange for contributing it to the Lightning Network, we can earn fees. 
Because as monetary transactions are happening on the Lightning Network, we're contributing to the liquidity to make that happen. And in exchange for that, we earn transaction fees. That's going to become, and I have no crystal ball, but in my mind, it has the potential to go up and down as the network evolves, the new risk-free rate of return for all of us. And we don't have to base it on debt and we don't have to give up ownership of our asset. We can keep ownership and have this happen. And keep this is yeah. mind blowing to me, and and that's why the, you'll you'll likely and how far away are we from being able to do something? Yeah, this uh, this is available now. It's happening right now, and companies right now holding their own Bitcoin. So one of the companies we invested in created an SDK and a liquidity service provider to be able to do this. And what that means is, so people can build onto this network, and instead of a business having to pay fees to Visa and Swift and everything else, they can share fees that are reducing their customers' purchases, and they get paid along the way. On the way. So it's, it just completely changes the economic incentive um, to in service of us. And those fees, 25 5%, 7%, some places in the world for these high-cost networks, the fee on a Lightning transaction is literally a fraction of a penny. A fraction of a penny, but it's moving so fast that those fractions of pennies add up to, to turn into something that's, that you can actually make money on and share that revenue with, with people. So not only is it a massive cost decrease, safer, faster, cheaper, it's, it's, also, it's also a change of incentives that dramatically, as people start to understand this incentives and what this looks like, it changes the world. This is so, uh, reminds me of the early, late 90s, early 2000s when the big bell phone companies, actually Bryce is going to talk about telecommunications, so this is perfect. Yeah. Um, when they thought they were going to maintain their monopoly over long distance calling. But do you remember as the internet developed and everybody started using Skype and data and we could call long distance overseas to relatives for much cheaper and they had a heart attack, these phone companies like, oh my gosh, how are we going to survive? We sell minutes. Nobody's using minutes anymore because we started doing it over the internet. Do you not, what are the banks thinking right now when they see this other monetary network that they can't get their grubby little hands into and yeah. we can all own a piece of that network ourselves for our family? Or what would the governments think? What would the governments think that are imposing more tax, imposing more breaking money, ruining, taking away, stealing the productivity of the, of the world to be able to control it, wouldn't it make sense in that world that they would want a CBDC and no cash transactions so they can control everything? Of, of course. Now we're with where AI is moving at a faster and faster rate. What if you allowed that to happen? Right? What if you allowed all of that productivity coming at a way faster rate to be controlled by people? Then, then AI and robotics would be used against you rather than in service to you. It's, it's, and you can see where this goes just out of these two, two systems. And you can see, I don't proclaim that anybody in the systems, there are some terrible actors, but most people in the system are worried so much about what would we do in a debt collapse? And they're making the decisions from the system that is creating the outcomes. So what will they do next? You'll hear, let's regulate AI. Who do you think you're hearing regulate AI from? Big tech. Why? Because you can't, because prices follow the marginal cost of production. And the only way you'll get regulation, so that'll be in service to you. And the only way to protect a monopoly is to regulate it. 
So you're going to hear more and more of these things. Then you're going to hear, let's tax the robots. Hmm. Why don't we tax the air we're breathing right now? Right? So it's the same concept. It's insane. Um, but from the existing system, some of these ideas will seem same to a whole bunch of people left out of that transition because the money's already been stolen from them. I admire the way Jeff stays so calm when he articulates these concepts. I feel like like getting this bend, this stool right here, lifting up, but this is mashing on the ground. It's like, this is it. We got to pay attention. And Jeff just beautifully articulates these concepts. So we have slightly different styles, but that's what I feel like doing. Like, this is fucking crazy. You got to pay attention to this shit, but do your own due diligence, right? Like, do your own, look into this for yourselves. Um, Jeff, you're going to stay around uh, for, for a little bit. I made a big mistake. I thought we were I was going to buy some books as a prop up here on the stage. I should have bought way more books that were Jeff to, to hand out. So we have nine copies of, uh, of Jeff's book, um, but we'll give them to Jeff. He's going to be outside in the lobby or make his way out there. There's a high top table if you want to come and ask him questions, pick his brain. Um, and uh, before we, any anything else you want to know? No, before, all, all good. Just, a, just another thank you to you and, and, and Nick. I, I, I meant it when I said that. I, we first met on Twitter three, three and a half years ago. And you know, you, you follow somebody, you watch somebody, you pick up clues. I don't need to be here. I'm here because of these guys. And they're here helping you because of they, they really care. So, so I said it last night, we all touch people. Our actions matter. And, and so I'm happy to be here with somebody whose actions matter to a whole bunch of other people. Thanks, Jeff. We, we appreciate that. Thanks.